All right, and we are live. Welcome to the Bronx Bomber Babble, episode one, the inaugural episode of the Bronx Bomber Babble podcast. I am your host, Matthew Luzzi. You can call me Luigi. You can call me Luzzi. You can call me Matt. You can call me whatever. And I'm with Nick, and I'm with Andrew. We're all from Bronx Bomber Ball, and yeah, this is this is our podcast. Say what's up, guys. What's good? How's it going, y'all? recently high. There you yeah. go. Fantastic. <laughs> so we're we wanted to start it off with we were we were discussing who is our least favorite Yankee of all time because you know all these podcasts they discuss who's their favorite Yankee of all time who who's their favorite Yankee moment of all time like look we know your favorite Yankee moment of all time is either Boone hitting the home run in Game Seven it's either a it's something with the World Series we get it okay we all have the same favorite Yankee moment. But who's our least favorite Yankee? And, you know, I'm just going to start. And it's a guy who's on the roster who who shouldn't be on the roster. And you're, that's right. My <laughs> least favorite Yankee of all time is Jacoby Ellsbury. I'm going to say it. I know he, his, his Yankee book is not finished. Hopefully it is soon. But, I mean, he's just still there, and I, I hate him so much. So who do you, who do you guys have? Well, I'm going to quarter the market on Kevin Euclid. This is one of my least favorite players like of all time when he was on the Red Sox. And it was just demoralizing beyond all get out when we signed him. Uh, just from his – he always looked like he just got done eating a beaver uh, with the facial hair and everything. And his batting stance that was probably the most screwy one I've ever seen. It was all for show, just – just a clown kind of guy. And then we signed him and he played all of like 20 something games, didn't really contribute. And that was it. So to me, that was just a horrifying Yankee moment signing like one of my least favorite players of all time. It, it's just so tough for me to put Euclid there because he just, what you said, he only played a month's worth of baseball for the Yankees. And then he was hurt. And then you forgot he was ever even on the Yankees, but I do hate Kevin Euclid and seeing him in a Yankee uniform did hurt. Andrew, I know you were having a little bit of trouble with this. Who's your least favorite Yankee of all time? Oh, man, of all time. I, I have to go back to right after we won the, the World Series in 2009. Uh, there's so much life in those those next few years' teams. Uh, I've got to go to Chanho Park, uh, who we signed. I believe he was with the Phillies the year before. Uh, uh, he was on the 2010 squad. Uh, I just felt like every time he came out of the bullpen, the guy gave up two two runs. Uh, I'm, I can look it up. I bet you he gave up something like like ten home runs that year in limited appearances. But I, I just felt like I went to. I, I still go to a lot of games on Friday nights, and I just have these horrifying memories of him coming in and just getting destroyed every time he took the mound. Yeah, there's a lot of Yankee names that could have been inserted from about 2010 to 2015. But I think I think Jacoby Ellsbury, I think Kevin Euclid, and I think Park are all three worthy names. That actually, can I can I switch to Brandon Drury since I seem to be leading the hate train against him well, on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good transition, Scott. So as as everyone knows, the Yankees went the last week recently traded for Brandon Drury and. Basically, they didn't give up much for him. Nick Solak's gone. He's in Tampa now. Tyler, Taylor Widener's gone. He's in Arizona. So they really didn't give up much for him. But the main topic is how so many people view this as a great trade. As, oh, wow, we have Brandon Drury. Now. The second coming of the DD trade. Yeah, a guy who's 25 years right. old. And, you know, he's 
three years. He hit 270 with 50 home, 15 home runs last year. And I viewed this – my first thought about this trade was this takes away a spot from Anduar or Torres. And I know Glyburn might not be ready for the start of the season. He might not even get that much MLB uh, playing time this season. But and – I, and I really think – I was thinking about this. I think it's because of just how much success Judge and how much success Sanchez, even guys like Severino, how much success our young guys have had has made us just say, all right, bring on Anduar, bring on Glyber, bring on all these young guys because they've all worked out so far, right, or most of them have. So I, I just really didn't see the point of this jury trade. I, it, especially if it's just going to take away a starting spot from one of these young guys. What do you guys think? Well, well my Scott, article, I know you, you wrote the piece yeah. so I to go ahead. <laughs> well, it kind of boiled down to me as we got to look at Drury and see, see who he is as a player. And this is a guy who hit 267, uh, only had a 317 on base percentage and a 1.6 war. And for whatever reason, he's being labeled as a power hitter, but he only hit 13 home runs last year. And if I have my stat right, there was 110 guys or 117 players who hit 20 or more home runs last year. Uh, and Drury hit 13 in what's being considered the juiced ball era. So to me, it boils down to Drury's an okay player, and he would be a good upgrade, say, over Ronald Torres for kind of a placeholder for Torres because we all know he's going to be sent down for at least a couple weeks you know, to kind of manipulate the service time. And they're going to say, well, it's probably for the injury to recover. Um, but to kind of hold that place. And so in this article, I looked at kind of Torres and Andujar versus Drury. And I think with Torres, we can all agree this is a top prospect, like top five in all baseball. His write-ups say he's going to be contending for batting crowns while hitting 20-plus home runs. That is like how Jose Altuve levels things. And, you know, I personally think he shouldn't have won the MVP, but he won the MVP last year. And so I think that's the type of player the Yankees need on their team. With Andujar, it's a little bit of a harder sell because for whatever reason, Yankees fans are obsessing over his defense. And here's the thing. Young players, minor league players, to struggle with defense, it's not like a unique thing. This happens. And something that I also pointed out in this Drury article is he made 11 errors last year, 10 at second base, and one at his one start at third base. Now, you know, you know who else made 11 errors last year is Starlin Castro. And we didn't exactly hail him as a defensive wizard. So, to me, I, I put Andujar's uh, 2017 minors numbers against Drury's 2017's MLB numbers. And, look, I know there's a difference between the MLB and the minors. But the point of the exercise is I think that Andujar can easily spell Drury. And I think he'd be better than Drury. So, I say, why not give the kids a shot? I mean, we did it with Gary. We did it with Judge. And it worked out fantastically. Why not give the kids a shot? Because I think they can be better short and long-term options than Drury. Andrew? You know, yeah, uh, for, for me, it boils down to the defense. I, I think we, we all know what, what Glaber can do with the bat. We, we know what, what Miguel Andohar can do with the bat. We've certainly seen it the past few days in spring training. But just the fact that Drury's being labeled as this you know, infielder with a high defensive prowess and that uh, Miguel is going to struggle at the hot corner – I just don't buy into that. I mean, another thing that, that Scott pointed out in the article is that Andujar's best skill is his arm. He's got a 70 arm on the 2080 grade. I mean, the guy's got a rifle. If he has to work on footwork, I mean, that's why they're, you know, they work on stuff like that all spring. Derek Jeter, I want to bring back to that, made I think 56, 57 errors his first year of pro ball. Uh, and then he went on to win three gold gloves, although 
we got, probably one of them was illegitimate. But you, the, the point is, the point is, is that uh, <laughs> I think you, you have a guy in, in Tyler Wade who could do everything that Jury's being asked to do. I mean, he didn't really that's prove much last year. But, but I mean, that that's the guy to me. He's going to be the one who should be starting at second base if we're going to put uh, Glaber in AAA to either get work or just delay his service clock. Wade has yeah, I, they make the comparisons to the Ben Zobras type player. I think that's a really good point. Is a lot of this for me was I guess I didn't see the point of the trade either. You have Tyler Wade, who I was kind of excited. You know, he came up last year and his playing time was sporadic, and it's hard for guys to come up and do that. I thought we kind of had the internal depth with Tyler Wade. Um, you guys might laugh, but look at Danny Espinosa. Like this is a guy who's he's hit yeah. two spring training home runs, or I'm sorry, one I think. Um, or is it two? Somebody can correct me. He's not playing that. Okay, and and he's played in the you know the the majors before, and you also had Jace Peterson. So I don't think we really consider Espinosa or Peterson legitimate threats for the major league roster. But I thought we already had that internal depth. So again, like Andrew was saying, it's not like Drury's a defensive wizard. Um, the Yankees are saying they they're looking at him to you know play third base over Miguel Andujar, well, he only played one game at third base last year, and he made an error in that one game. So I'm not exactly convinced that he can man down the hot corner any better than, you know, Andujar or even Chase Headley on his worst day kind of thing. So I say, why not put Andujar's, you know, what appears to be a superior bat in over that if you're willing to concede some defensive prowess, you know, in, in that place anyways? Mm-hmm. I really just boil it down to. I think we just lost Luigi. Oh, did we? <laughs> okay, uh, well that's all. That's all good. It's still alive. I just don't know how to actually shut it off. Um, no, we'll uh, we'll add him back in. Well, yeah, uh, we'll we'll get him back in. Quick. All right, if you want to go um, ahead and add him back in, I'll kind of move us on. Do, do, do you want to sure. pick it up from here, and I'll, uh, I'll uh, work on getting it back? Wrong, but... <laughs> uh, back. Why, well, hello, I Luigi. I think we were just. <laughs> no, I literally, I literally had so many windows open, and two X's were right next to each other, and I was like, "Is this oh, the no. right one?" Oh, uh, it's not, is it? Because then my audio just cut. But what I was saying. Well, I think we can just edit this out. <laughs> yeah, no. It, this, hey, this is why it's the rough draft, right? But what I was Absolutely. saying is that I just want to see the young guys in there. I think this team is talented enough that we could afford to say, all right, we were going to start Anduar at third opening day. And guess what? If he's hitting 130 or something, we, we could afford to do that. Just like Bird was hitting 120 with his uh, broken foot last year. And it really didn't affect us all too much. So moving on, because I think that the whole Drury, second base, third base, Anduar, Torres, Wade debate will be settled in time. But – Something I noticed today about the uh, about the lineup, and I looked at the lineup because the first few lineups were some typical classic spring training lineups, right? You had a bunch of guys there that almost about like one starter in two games. But today's lineup, it looked like a, almost a preview of opening day possibly, and I'm going to read it off real quick. You had Gardner in left, Judge DHing, Stanton in right, Sanchez at, obviously behind the plate, Bird at first, DD at short, batting sixth, Hicks seventh, Jury eighth, and Torres ninth. And you had Torres playing second, Jury playing third, and Hicks playing center. 
And obviously, uh, Luis Seso is on the mound, and uh, goes without saying that that won't be uh, happening ever. But what do you guys think about that lineup? Because I know you have Gliber in there at nine. He, you know, he might not be in the MLB to start. I know that. But I'm just looking at the whole because a lot of people are trying to put Bird in the top half of the lineup, and I just don't see why. I I think you should have your Four best hitters, which are Judge, Stanton, Sanchez, and Didi, all in the top half, and then throw Gardner in there because he's the leadoff hitter. What do you guys think? Andrew, I'll let you take this one since I know you're uh, quite high on Bird. I'll go after you. <laughs> this is where we differ. Uh, I personally uh, like to keep Bird somewhere between the three right-handers, uh, not necessarily to keep a righty-lefty, righty-lefty balance throughout the lineup, but I just think that you can maximize what he's capable of if you give him a lot of protection in front of him and behind him. And again, uh, I, I don't think that you're, you're losing so much on, on the back end uh, by, by bumping everyone down. The only thing that I don't like is if you, if you want to keep Didi up, the risk is I, I really hate betting Gary all the way down in sixth. Uh, so, so ideally you don't want that. But for me, if they're going to keep Judge and Stanton for the high on base, Two, three. They want to get both those guys batting in the first inning. I think that's almost confirmed. I would like to see Bird four, Gary five, DD six, or or some variation of of that here. I, I know Bird hasn't shown much other than what he did in the playoffs last year, but I think given the right protection, he could be exponentially better than he could be batting sixth with let's say Aaron Hicks behind him. See, like. See, my whole thing is, look, you could make several arguments that Judge, Gary, and Stanton are, I don't know what, three of the 10 best hitters, three of the 15. I don't want to throw out any numbers. At least right? in the American like, League, yeah. That's what, they could be three of the – they're three of the best hitters in baseball. And you have to have – probably the best threesome together. of hitters in yeah, the MLB. Absolutely. I don't think you're going to find a better three hitters on the same team. Absolutely. So that you have to have those guys together. You have to have those guys. All You definitely have to have Judge and Stanton together. And I think you have to put Sanchez right there because they all protect each other. And they're your best hitters. And what pit, there's no pitcher in the world that when they see Judge, Stanton, and Gary in the lineup, that's a freaking nightmare for anyone. Yeah, they strike out a lot, but, man, there's going to be some big innings with those three hitting together. And with Didi, I don't – like, you can't hit Didi six. He's probably going to have the highest average on the team. You just – cannot have him your guy who's probably the one guy dd might be the one guy that hits over 300 i think judge and stanton and gary all they all could hit 300 but i think they're going to be around 280 290 i think dd is the guy that if you have one 300 hitter it will be dd and for that reason i don't think he hits he could hit sixth and bird i i just don't see bird hitting more than what 30 homers this year 25 how is he going to hit fifth with those types of numbers well, I kind of analyzed it from the standpoint of a lot of people will be like, well, you don't want three righties together just because of, you know, righty-righty matchup. And so what I did is I did a quick rundown of, you know, Gary, Judge, and Stanton's numbers versus left-handers and versus right-handers. So for Stanton versus right-handers, he hit 270, and versus left-handers, he hit 323. So that's your typical right-handed batter split. Hits better against lefties and, you know, a little worse against righties. Still, hitting 270 against righties isn't bad. But Gary and Judge are actually really interesting examples because Gary hits 282 against right-handers, 
and 266 against left-handers. So there's a reverse split where he's actually worse against left-handers than he is right-handers. And the same with Judge, where he hit 298 against right-handers, and he hit 230 against left-handers in 2017. I didn't realize he was that bad against left-handers. He, he absolutely hits better as a right-handed hitter. So to me, I kind of echo what Luigi's saying here as far as keep those three guys together. They can hit you know, right-handed pitching, no problem. The matchup shouldn't be an issue. So for me, it all boils down to I don't want Sanchez hitting any lower than fifth. I think he's an elite hitter. I mean, he's overlooked because you got Sanchez and – I'm sorry, uh, Stanton and Judge in this lineup. So I kind of want him behind those guys. I think that those guys will be getting on base a lot and provide a lot of opportunities to drive in runs. Um, I don't necessarily think Bird's going to have a bad year, but I just trust what Gary's done the last couple of years more than what Bird's done the last couple of years, and that's what it boils down to to me. I think my biggest concern is not the three righties together for matchup sakes. It's the two lefties afterwards for matchup sakes. Uh, if you're able to to get through the buzzsaw of Judge, Stanton, Sanchez, and then you got a top lefty, like let's say Andrew Miller come in to face back-to-back Didi. Uh, he hit, Didi hits okay against lefties, but the Didi and Bird, that almost shows a bit of an underbelly that, that concerns me a little bit. I really just think you have to have – I think you have to have those three guys together, and I think you have to have Didi higher up in the lineup. That's Just for the sake of – for the sake of a a little bit of a YOLO argument then, would any of you gentlemen propose batting one of those – Yes, I was about to say. Would any of you propose batting one of those three, you know, at leadoff spot, much in the way that the Blue Jays did with Jose Bautista kind of – in an attempt to get him the most at bats usual, um, I don't know and where you're going to walk. You're always going to guys on base. So I used Correct. to. You know, I, so I, I played travel baseball in South Florida, and a lot of things I saw like these really good teams doing as I got older was they would just put their hitter that would always be the three or four hitter at leadoff, and it just makes so much sense because shit, they're getting the most at bats, aren't they? So yeah, I, I I wouldn't be opposed to either seeing Judge or even Stan hitting leadoff. Now I was I was under the impression that uh, Stanton, when he hit all those home runs last year, was in the leadoff spot and they moved him there. But he was moved to the two spot, which is still pretty unconventional for a guy like Stanton to be in the two spot. So, yeah, I'm all for guy Judge or Stanton to be in a one or two spot. That being the case, then Andrew, would you be okay with keeping those three together and putting Bird at the four spot, or are you still concerned about you know Bird and Indeedy, would you want to maybe move Bird in between the three? If you're gonna somewhere? do, you're gonna do one two. I would do Judge lead off, Stanton two, maybe DD three, Gary four to protect him, and then Bird five. Um, or you could swap that. again. You could swap the lefties. Uh, you, if you're gonna move those guys up, Gardner probably drops all the way down to nine. I don't see how you could put him in the middle yeah. of the lineup. I actually like uh, that lineup quite a bit. What you just suggested right there. You see, I in my uh early thoughts i was thinking to myself man something's telling me gardner's just not going to be a leadoff like he's not going to be good enough to be a leadoff here this year and i could be wrong and you know he could still have that uh really good on base percentage and that great plate discipline but i don't know it's going to be tough for Gardner to keep that leadoff spot this year especially if he uh senses some fire from some of the younger guys so let's see and you almost get you almost get a a leadoff wraparound if you put him at nine it's I mean, based on yeah. if an inning ends with the eight guy, he's leading off technically anyway. I mean, the leadoff man only really matters the first inning, so. 
All right, so, you know, we're going to wrap up this show with, I know we, we haven't really thought about this, but give me one just bold prediction, one hot take <laughs> for the season. <laughs> I want to hear it. Now, it, you can't just say the Yankees are going to win the World Series because that's not really a hot take. That's just that's just saying the Yankees are going to win the World Series. I want I want a hot take that's going to raise my eyebrows. So, Andrew, I want you to start because I think I know what you're going to say. If you're thinking I'm going to say Bird's going to hit 40 bombs, I'm going to shy away from that just because I have something that I've been thinking about the past few days. Uh, I honestly think we're going to see – a whole other Dylan Batances this year. Uh, I think he had the whole offseason to think about his control issues. Uh, apparently, he lost a bunch of weight, so maybe he's, he's not throwing around as much weight up on the mound, which can help him you know, stabilize his delivery. Every Each of the last four years, he's been an all-star pitcher. He's had, uh, I think, before he imploded last year, uh, he was at – 0.4 ERA and had a stretch where he gave up one earned run in like 22 innings, like something stupid. I mean, the guy can do that. And I don't think that's sustainable over a full season, kind of like we saw with Craig Kimbrell and Fernando Rodney a couple of years ago, uh, where they both had sub one ERAs the whole year. But I think Dellen could be a real factor uh, and maybe regain the eight spot and just be a dominating force ahead of Chapman this year. You know, I was thinking about putting Batantis as like my hot take too, but. I mean, Batantis is a guy that through halfway through the season last year, his ERA was 0.4. I mean, he was just unhittable through the first few months of the season last year. So, I mean, it w- really wouldn't be – I mean, it would be surprising if he just had a year where he was one of the best set, uh, set-up men in baseball. But it would be hard to imagine after that uh, postseason that he had where he was just – he was brutal. He, I couldn't I, throw he a straight. He got the yips. I mean, you haven't seen that since Little League. But, Nick – your turn because i'm still thinking of mine to be honest <laughs> well i'll go with something i kind of put in an article a little while ago and I'll, i'm going to say that sunny gray is going to be the best yankees pitcher i know that this isn't necessarily the most you know popular take but i guess that's why it's bold <laughs> believe me um, it's everywhere is it oh well then you know what i guess my Seen article lots of this on twitter the past few weeks <laughs> well here's what it all boils down to for me is Number one, I think the, the best Yankees pitcher is going to be between Luis Severino and Sonny Gray. I don't think anybody's going to doubt that. Um, Tanaka gave up 35 home runs last year. I think he's going to be better this year because there's nowhere to go but up from that kind of down season. So I just don't seriously consider him to be in this conversation. Gray this year didn't necessarily have a bad year as a whole, had a 3.55 ERA. And as for a hole on the year, but with the Yankees, it's a three, seven, two. And he did have some issues keeping the ball in the park. But to me, a lot of it boils down to, I think that there was some kind of some residual injury concerns there. Uh, all of 2016 was an injury riddled mess for Gray. And he was horrible. There was a point in time where there were articles saying, you know, the A's blew it. They're not going to be able to trade him for more than a bag of balls, all this and that. And things didn't look to be getting that much better when he started the year on the disabled list in 2017. And so he was better, uh, obviously, than in 2016. But I think, you know, a year away from all those injuries, he can return to himself because in 2014, 2015, you know, years where he was healthy, uh, he was a 200 inning pitcher and, you know, a three ERA in 2014 and a 273 in 2015. And that's the kind of guy that the Yankees need because I think that. 
with Luis Severino, he might run into a little bit of a, a wall with all the innings that he threw last year. That was the most he's ever thrown in his Major League Baseball career. And he was outstanding, but I think it kind of showed at the end of the year. I don't know if he was just rattled or it was nerves, but I'd have to think a big part of it is he didn't have that much gas left in the tank. So I think that it wouldn't be – I know it's not technically a sophomore slump, but maybe like a sophomore starting slump for Luis Severino. And I don't think he's going to be bad. I just think that, you know, Sonny Gray is poised to really come back. He's had a full, you know, he's going to have a full spring to work with Larry Rothschild, who I think is actually very underrated as a pitching coach. And so I think he gets back to his old self. And I think he's more like the 2014, 2015 Sonny Gray than the Sonny Gray we saw in 2017. Very, very, some very good bold predictions. Now I'm going to, I'm going to, my bold prediction, I'm going to stick with what I've already been talking about. And I'm going to go ahead and say that. Both Miguel Anduar and Glaber Torres will be starting for the Yankees by the end of the season. Oh. And I think they'll both both of them will be in the lineup, and I think they'll both be really big parts of this team. I mean, they, I just see so much potential in both those guys. Obviously, Glaber, it goes without saying. And I didn't like see. I was thinking about this, and I said to myself, "Well, saying Glaber is going to be in this uh, starting lineup is that really bold?" And I think it kind of is because of his surgery and I know it's Tommy John on the left elbow it's not his throwing elbow but it still could be a bit of a obstacle for him to get back to full strength and that could be a big hurdle for him so I think that Gliber and Anduar will both be starting for this team by the end of the year and I mean can you imagine a infield you have Garrett catcher Bird at first uh Gliber at second Didi at short and Anduar at third Oof, that, that's just beautiful man Manny Machado who hey let's do it let's do a bonus real quick a bonus uh on the uh on machado because for whatever reason this we've been getting all things saying well could this could this drury acquisition <laughs> be something that's leading to a manny you know, machado trade was, that's like the season. first thing i thought when we traded for jury i said well there goes machado <laughs> right and i'm like yeah, I'm sure that the Yankees, the uh, they acquired Brandon Drury because that was the uh, the missing piece that Baltimore wanted. That was the Manny Machado, the Manny Machado midseason. They they said, you know what? We'll, we'll pass on Glaber Torres, Clint Frazier. You can put that package aside. We want Brandon Drury. And so I don't know why we've been getting all these comments on our articles about that, but it uh, it just makes me laugh. I I actually think we need to have a, a freezing cold take on the podcast uh, regularly and. Because we know some clowns have been saying the Brandon Drury trade is better than the Stanton trade. Like, oh there's, they just get so much material to work with. Well, some, <laughs> it's, some, it really. Someone, someone it, that will go unnamed said that uh, <laughs> the uh, the Drury trade was quote unquote lower risk than the Stanton trade, which is just a stupid <laughs> argument. Saying something that's lower risk. Like, going to the bathroom is lower risk than like doing anything, but going to the bathroom is still not like a big impact move. Like, you know, it's just yeah. Just hey say, man, like, I don't oh, get all the hostility. Hey, the lower. You're just, <laughs> you're just talking in circles, bro. To say something, it's like, oh, it's lower risk instead. Like you're you're talking about risk when we just acquired a guy that hit fifty, has the most home runs in baseball in over a decade. Won a most valuable player award. He won the MVP. Correct. What he hit the most? Like, when was the last time someone hit fifty nine home runs? It was like oh three, oh four. I think Sammy Sosa was the last guy who hit fifty nine or more. 
damn well, he long hit 59 time. home runs in a terrible Marlins lineup, or at least a, a not elite like this Yankees lineup I mean, is. Yeah, and I was about to say, Marcelo, Marcelo Zuna almost popped 40, too. So. But they're, and yeah, well, they're it, all three, all three but nine. still, in a gigantic ballpark, and you take that guy and you put him in Yankee Stadium, you know, his pop-ups are going to be going over the fence. So, um, hey, Luigi, if you don't mind, I'd like to do one last segment that we haven't hey, planned we could, for. We could keep going. This is the rough draft. Like, okay. It really doesn't matter. You know, we're we're on. I kind of just wanted to uh, explain the meaning behind a word that you're going to be seeing a lot <laughs> on Bronx Bomber Ball, Bronx ba- uh, Bomber Babble. No and that was just a beautiful seven-letter se- seven word called Yeeters. Now, Yeeters, it's a word, but it has no definition. It's a lifestyle, if you will. Um, I think the best way to explain Yeeters is to use examples. Uh, Yeeters is when Didi Gregorius hits two home runs against Corey Kluber in game five of the ALDS. Uh, Yeeters is when you score the really hot girl's number, you know, at the bar. Yeeters is when you win the lottery. Yeeters is when you DM a Ukrainian skater and she answers you back. So those are, you're going to see this word a lot, and I hope that everybody catches on because we're going to try and make this into a movement. Uh, It was born here deep in the heart of Bronx Bomber Ball. And we're bringing it to you live, and I just hope that we could, by the end of the season, this will be posted everywhere. You guys got a year's blast with us. Uh, we're really counting on you guys to make the movement. What'd you say, uh, Scott, about DD? I said Yeeters. I was a Yeeters Folks, moment. when that happens, that was incredible. You stand up and you yell Yeeters as loud as you can. Well, you know, it really is just great knowing that this Yankees team's in such a great position moving forward. They have new manager, right? No more Binder Joe. I know how I know how our boy Steve feels about that. Um, <laughs> you know, we got so we have the NL MVP on our team. We have the most popular man in baseball. It's a good time to be a Yankees fan. And I agree. It's it's looking up. It's it's funny where you look at where this team was a year ago and how I look back at articles that I wrote that others wrote where we're saying, oh, you know, this this season's really a lost cause. It's just to kind of let the uh, the young guys get some experience and everything. I predicted and, the Yankees to go eighty four and seventy eight this past twenty seventeen. Well, and then yeah, you I, look I, back I, and we were. That was that all? I don't think that was you know that like. No, I don't think it was unreasonable. Um, you know, you look at a lot of guys stepped up and really played played their tails off. I don't, and you I know mean, what these guys think, are capable of. I mean, maybe not to the extent Judge, but I mean, we saw what Gary did uh, in his forty-some games uh, at the end of 2016. I think going into last year, the expectation was they would compete for a wild card until the last week of the season. Not they'd win the wild card, the first wild card spot by five, six games, whatever it was, uh, and it'd be in contention for the division until the second to last game of the season. Season. Uh, um, so it, it, it absolutely blew us away. Uh, and then to go ahead and add the National League MVP this past offseason, man, night and day. Dude, it's a good time to be a Yankees fan. I think Gary is a really good example, too, because like part of me was worried, wow, he had that really great tear, that hot stretch you know, in 2016. Will it keep up in 2017? And it absolutely did. Mm-hmm. He came down a, like to earth a little bit, but he wasn't that far off the pace. He I got mean, injured the first week of the season, remember? Yeah, he missed a and, month. Yeah, and hit 30-something dongs still. So that was impressive. It was good to kind of affirm because to me, you know, we see, we see players have good years all the time, but I don't want to see them follow it up with, you know, an equally good year to be sure it's for real. 
And so that was just an encouraging sign for me. So hopefully this next year we see Judge and Severino continue the paces and, you know, performance they set uh, going forward here in 2018. Now, since I'm just going to keep firing off topics, this is <laughs> show. Um, now our good friends, our good pals, the Boston Red Sox recently acquired a guy by the name of uh, DJ Martin, or excuse me, J.D. Martinez. And um, what and do you Mara guys think Nunez? about that? What you, yeah, they, they, Eduardo Nuni Nunez. Um, what do you guys think about them getting JD Martinez? Because you know, I, I know the numbers back it up, and I know the guy hit like forty home runs in like one hundred twenty games last year. But I don't think JD Martinez is at, like a premier hitter in the in baseball. I don't think he's like a top ten hitter, like a lot of Red Sox fans think he is. JD Martinez has had two complete seasons where he's, yeah, he's been had one season where he's played more than i mean so is stan so is stan but stan's numbers i think are much better than jd and i know people say well like the ops and all this is the same if you compare so their, their stan is better than jd martinez let's let's not get it twisted yeah i don't know i think jd martinez definitely adds length to the lineup he for sure adds some pop that they didn't have i think they finished what 26 27th in the league at home runs last year which is the most un Red Sox thing they might have been in my lifetime. The they might they might have been last in the AL, honestly. It's possible. Uh, either that or 14th or 15th. Uh, again, it's going to create a little bit of logistics issues because he's going to be basically a full-time DH. There's no way he's going to get starts regularly in the outfield over Benintendi, Betts, and Jackie Bradley Jr., barring an injury. And then if one of those three guys do get injured, J.D. is a horrible left fielder. And he's never fielded off the monster. There's just a lot of things to happen that, that I could see going wrong. But again, it it does add a lot of length to their lineup. So it it's not a bad move, but I don't think it's a world-breaking move by them either. Well, J.D. Martinez hit 45 home runs last year, and the Yankees have a guy who hit 52 in Judge and a guy who hit 59 in Stanton. So I'm honestly not phased by it not bothered by it in the least bit i still think that the yankees have the superior roster um aside from chris sale the red sox pitching staff to me doesn't strike a lot of fear in my heart now in in all fairness they might be able to say that back about the yankees pitching staff and say hey outside of severino who do you guys have but you know we have the superior bullpen i think and the superior lineup you know top to bottom i think so all in all, this is something that we knew was going to happen all winter, so maybe that's why I'm not so faced by it. Yeah. But to me, I still see the Yankees honestly taking the division this year. And, you know, who knows? Maybe he, you know, a full season in Fenway, maybe he hits 50-something home runs. But I'd honestly bet against it. Like I said, as it is right now, I'm not bothered by it. All right. Well, I think that's I think that's all we have to talk about. Um, this was our first episode. We're gonna we're gonna have a lot more episodes. We could probably even do another episode tomorrow if uh, <coughs> Alex <coughs> is uh, <laughs> around. Like he said, he would be at like seven at like the crack of dawn. But yes. you know what? We uh, we'll start. Put, we'll also start linking these to uh, the Bronx Ball Twitter when we're about to go live, and we'll also start downloading these and putting them on. Uh, iTunes so you could listen to them on your way to work. So for for me, Matt, aka Luigi, Nick, and Andrew, this is uh Yeaters. Yeaters. This is Bronx Bomber Babble. Signing out. Peace guys.